This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest wi-fi access for customers bt's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy whatever your business bt's got your back search bt's got your back hello this is the red box podcast i'm matt Shorty, bringing the best of my times radio show you can listen live monday to friday 10 till 1 on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker, and on the Times Radio app. Now, if you do listen on the show uh, live on the radio, we end the show every day with a quiz. Can you get to number 10? It's 10 general knowledge questions loosely connected to 10 cabinet jobs. The more questions you get right, the better job you get uh, taking your place alongside our listeners and guests in our cabinet. Well, much excitement today. Keir Starmer popped into the studio. We talked about the interest rate rise, and then he did the quiz. So you can find out on the pod a bit later on, did he get to number 10? Uh, that's coming up in just a moment. We've also got exclusive polling, which shows that Labour and the Tories are now neck and neck in the countryside. Uh, what can the Tories possibly do about that? But first, we kick off with a look at the day's news with the columnists. The Columnists on Times Radio. Yes, uh, no man from Varna this week, but joining me in the studio, helpfully on a day like today, Times and Sunday Times property editor Carol Lewis is here. Morning, Carol. Good morning. Lovely to see you. Uh, and we've also brought him back. Everybody enjoyed him being here last time because he was so rude about everything. Uh, journalist Matthew Bell joins us. Hi, Matthew. Good morning. How are you? Furious about everything as usual. Good, good. Uh, Carol, big day for you. Yes. And the yes. nation. Well, those that have mortgages. Those that have mortgages. How many people in the country do have mortgages? Roughly, we say it divides in thirds. So a third own their home outright, a third have a mortgage, and a third are renting. So those third with the mortgages, how many of those are likely to be affected by these inching up of interest rates? Not many in the short term. Um, In the long term, we think... About a million to a million and a half are coming off fixed rates this year, so will be affected. And this is this is one of the big things. Uh, we have got a disconnect between what the bank does and how the economy feels it. So we have far more people on fixed two and five year rates than we've had before. So previously, old school thinking would be put up the rate, like say midday today, it goes up by 0.5 percentage points. You're on a variable rate. You know tomorrow you're going to be paying some more. Yeah. But actually that doesn't happen anymore because everyone's on two and five-year fixes. And if you're two years into a five-year fix, you're thinking, oh, well, what does oh, it matter? It'll, it'll blow over. It'll it'll blown over yeah, it'll blown over by I, by time I do it. So you carry on booking your Beyonce tickets and going to Spain. And the other thing is, uh, am I right in thinking that 
post-crash 2007-2008, to get a mortgage now, your income is stress-tested much more. So in theory, people should be able to cope with some of these. In, in theory, yes. So they were stress-testing by four percentage points. So the rate would have been 2% and you would have been stress-tested at the 6% yeah. that we're at now. We're on the cusp of that now. Yes. So we, yeah. Yes, that that is the theory. How vigorously it was done, I'm yeah, not yeah. quite so sure. And obviously, but... because the price of everything's gone up, yes, what, exactly. what was an ability to pay six percent <laughs> exactly. when you took it out might not. When be you the weren't case taking now. out, you know, a loan to buy some cheddar, yes, yes it all made a bit more sense. Uh, what do you what do you think about all this, Matthew? There's some suggestion, you know, this could lead to a house price crash. I mean, I suppose it depends where you are on the on the the, the ladder of life as to how concerned you are about this. Well, I mean, I don't feel that sorry for people whose um, interest rates are going to go up because it reminds me of what George Osborne said about the economy when they took it over, which is you've got to look out, you've got to fix the roof when the sun is shining. So I remember taking out my mortgage 10 years ago and the mortgage broker said, look, if you can overpay by 50 quid a month, 100 quid a month, you'll be helping yourself in the long run because you've got such a low interest rate. Did I put aside, did I overpay? Of course I didn't. I went out for dinner more. I bought more clothes. I was profligate with my money. And what I should have done was overpaid when interest rates were low, so that now that the interest rates have gone up, you know, I'm paying 150 quid more a month on my mortgage. But that's, I just see that as the market. What I, I, I didn't, you know, obey the instructions that were given to me at the time, which was take advantage of this incredibly, unusually low interest rate. You'll never see the like of which again. And now things have gone back to a more normal plane. And, of course, we're all suffering. Um, it's a really good point, isn't it, Cal? If everyone listened to you in the first place... <laughs> Even I didn't listen to me. You didn't listen to me. <laughs> so you're writing all these articles saying you need to overpay. Yes. And you weren't doing it. <laughs> no, no, like everybody else, I was sucked in. I mean, whatever's happening right now, we think is the new normal, don't we? Yeah, yeah, we yeah. think that's how it's going to stay, and it doesn't. It, it changes. Low, low rates have created this sort of cheap money bubble. Um, and that's what we're having to get over now. I mean, if you're moving from a 2% mortgage rate to a 6% mortgage rate on £100,000, you're going to be paying £220 more a month. And obviously, as that goes up, there's more and more. Some people have got some very big steps to go up in the next year or so. And what what's the right approach? Is it to uh, allow more people to you know extend their terms, but then, you know... We're all going to be working forever anyway, so you might as well be paying off your mortgage. But that just creates a problem later on. Um, what should you do now if you are coming off your mortgage? You know, because the, the Labour Party's talked about today, well, where you could, you know, encourage more people onto interest only. Or, think... But that only, that only defers the problem. It, it does, although the government called the banks in this week to talk to them, and I think, uh, although we don't know exactly what they said, they think they said to them, look, you're going to have to help people out. Mm. So I think the first thing is, if you can't pay the rate, you need to fess up very quickly and the banks have been told to help. You'll remember during uh, the pandemic, they helped with payment holidays. That wasn't letting people off, but payment holidays. They could switch you to interest only or part repayment, part interest. If you're young enough, they can extend the terms. I mean, extending the terms on someone as old as me is going to mean I'm paying (laughs) till I'm 90. But you knew that there are things they can do. So I think 
shout up. The other thing is... But the only problem with mm. that is then you're not getting the squeeze, so it won't help with inflation. No, it doesn't. I mean, almost everything that's been suggested, like, oh, we could bring back Myrus or we could help out... What's people. Myrus? Uh, it's the mortgage interest relief at source. Very mortgage good. interest relief at source. And uh, it basically was a tax relief on your interest payments. Okay. And Gordon Brown... Um, I got rid of it, and I can't can't remember the year he got rid of it. Around two thousand, I think he said it's right, a Matthew mi- and I won't correct you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a middle class giveaway, he said. Oh, okay. Uh, and, and I think to an extent it is. Um, yeah. There's uh, almost everything you do to help mortgage um, uh, people at the moment is going to stoke inflation. Yeah. But not just that, it, it's unfair. People who have been renting have been struggling for yeah, years yeah, now yeah, and yeah. they haven't got any handouts. That's the thing, isn't it, Matthew? I was thinking about this. It, 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 all this sort of, oh, it's terrible. Suddenly my housing costs have shot up and I might have to move. I mean, that's that's been the experience of, of millions of renters for, for the last few years. Exactly. And, and you, know, you forget you're so lucky if you're able to own your own home. Um, you know, I mean, it's only because... My stepmother happened to retire 10 years ago and got a lump sum that she was able to lend me the money to buy my house. You know, without that, there was no way I could have bought a house. And even then, I was a journalist living in London. I couldn't afford to buy a flat in London. So I thought, well, where can I afford to buy in the country? So I bought, you know, I had to move 100 miles out of London. Um, and that's just, that's just how it is. That's the market. And then I think what we'll see is good things will come out of this, which is, you know, people buying cheaper homes in cheaper places um, and, and that will then you know move spread the economy across the country so I think it's not all bad um, and the other thing I'd say about if you're lucky enough to own your home is you know in the very worst case scenario if you can't afford to keep repaying your mortgage you let your house out and you enter the renters market you you know mortgage lenders are very happy to allow you to switch to a buy to let mortgage if you need to and it, I know it sounds extreme but we shouldn't forget how lucky you are you know because these days your home is not just your home, it's actually your entire asset portfolio for many people. So I don't save any money because I can't afford to, but I think I look at my house and in the 10 years I've had it, it's gone up by about £300,000. Well, that's that's £30,000 a year it's made me as an income for doing nothing, just for for repaying my mortgage. So it's it's win-win if if you're lucky enough to own property. I I really don't think our hearts should be bleeding today. I think think, uh, you've got a point. There'd be more people... um... Renting out to lodgers, spare rooms. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not renting out the whole house because you still have to have somewhere to live. Yeah, yeah. But renting out to lodgers because you get um, a tax break on that up to seven and a half thousand a year, I think. Um, and the thing that Matthew was talking about, the moving out of London. Or, I mean, I, I did the same thing. We couldn't afford to buy a house in London, mm. so we live <laughs> literally miles away in, in Hampshire. Um, is that happening? And because we've talked before about what happened in the pandemic, and everyone went, "Oh, great, the new normal. I can live in Cornwall <laughs> and do my London job." But then it turned out they couldn't. No. What's no. going on in the housing market more generally? Uh, people have started coming back a bit more, uh, not quite into the centres totally, mm. but a, a bit more in. I mean, it's always been the pay, uh, always been the case that you you know you move a bit, perhaps to an area that you wouldn't have thought of before to be able to afford. I think. What is worrying is we are going to go into a period where houses are going to be getting cheaper but mm. less affordable. Yeah. So there's lots of predictions floating around about a house price crash. I don't think there'll be a crash. I think it will slowly come down. Um, predictions are around 10 to 12% from the peak, which was last August. We're currently by the, you know, the, the most extreme um, 
indicators about 4% off that. But because of what we talked about before, because people are on fixed rates, that's going to be a slowly coming down. When we looked at prices coming down more sharply in the global financial crash, that was mainly because people were losing their jobs. And they literally couldn't pay, they so they had to put the house on the market. couldn't yeah. pay. We haven't got that situation because we've got a labour shortage. Jobs market's pretty <laughs> point, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we're in very, different very thing. different times, yeah. I do just want to ask you about, because I have a feeling Matthew might have views on this, this story I've been loving about the chef who's banned vegans from coming into his restaurant. Uh, so many people have sent in things that they'd want to ban from a restaurant. Hannah says I'd ban booths, being trapped in the middle of a booth for six and being forced to announce you need the loo so the half the table can do then gainly shuffle out <laughs> for you to leave, go to the whole rigmarole on your return. William says I'd ban dogs. Don't get me wrong, I love dogs, but when they become acceptable to stroll into a restaurant with your dog... Don't get me started on children in restaurants, he says. Uh, Stephen also wants to ban dogs. Uh, Lindsay, feral children, water menus, any sort of jus. Uh, Matthew, what would you ban from restaurants? Okay, the first thing I would ban is QR codes. There's absolutely no need <laughs> to have a QR code for a menu. It's, there's nothing more depressing than getting to your nicely starched white linen tablecloth, you know, t- tucking your napkin into your shirt. Oh, you've got to get out your phone again. You've gone to the restaurant to get away from life and from away from your phone. And the menu, there's no printed menu. There's no beautiful menu you can open and scour. Um, so that's the first thing. But the next thing would obviously be, one of your um, listeners mentioned it, it's um, novelty plates. So, you know, chips, <laughs> yeah. iron bucket or, um, you know, ham on a filthy piece of slate. In fact, <laughs> the white plate, the white round plate is white for a reason. It means it's clean. You can see what's on it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's been through a dishwasher. All these, I mean, how do they clean um, dustbin lids that they serve there? <laughs> you, you suggest you don't want a portion of chips served in a, in a flat cap? Definitely not. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a revolting idea. Um, so, you know, restaurants, um, yeah, they need to go back to basics. White, white tablecloths, white plates and a good clean menu printed on card. In fact, there's nothing worse than a dirty menu as well. That's what I'm oh, really hate. But it's like you have to sort of slightly <laughs> peel them apart. Yeah. What about you? Confusing Carol? menus where you don't have starter, main course yeah. pudding. I get that. Yeah. It's where it's got smaller plates, medium uh, plates, larger, and I, and I don't, don't know, know how big they are. And, can, and do I have to share them? That, and sharing plates, that's always an issue. And you like, how many do I need to order them? It depends yeah. how hungry and you then, are. So I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, and they always say it's six. Of course it's six, because then that's the entire menu and you'll make those Also, money. when the menu, you're saying, well, I will have the steak. What does it come with? Nothing. Well, why, who's going to order that? Put something on the plate. Keto diet. The, my other thing is quite niche. Go on. Is when you go to very posh restaurants and, and they put foam on foam. foam. You know, yeah. it looks like cuckoo spit on yeah. your food. No. You don't like no, that? No, wrong. Don't like that. I don't like... Go on, go on, Matthew. I feel like we've hit a rich seam. <laughs> Photographs of food on them, you know, when you're looking at what you go to. It always looks disgusting. It's overexposed. It's a, you know, they, the they, only they, time it's acceptable is in a greasy spoon. There's something about this. It tells you you're going to have a really good, dirty breakfast. Exactly. If it's got pictures of just the different combinations of essentially sausage, bacon, egg, beans, hash browns, chips. I mean, okay. chips on a fibre is a separate thing altogether. I think that's Chips should not be on a breakfast. No. no. Good. I'm glad we've sorted all. There's basically nothing left in a restaurant now. Um, sort of uh, 17 year old boys calling me sir, I find irritating. A faux French accent? Yeah, just, you know, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, in fact, I remember once, I think it was one of the first times I went out for a meal with my now wife. Uh, we went to a quite a posh restaurant in Taunton. Such things do exist. 
Uh, there was this boy kept calling me sir. He was wearing a waistcoat, and then he got in the right tither and knocked all the wine glasses over. And it, yeah, carpets oh, in restaurants as well. Oh yes, and cold thing. places that don't put the heating on. That's always a sign. I'm, I always think if they haven't put the heating on, they're cutting corners. Who knows what's going on in the kitchen? Cold pubs. Also, a message for waiters: bring back notepads and write down the order. This thing of pretending they know, <laughs> remembering what they want—they never remember. They always get it wrong, but they think. Oh, yeah. you're so right. And then they bring a random dish out and try to persuade you, you actually did. Yeah, want you did it. order that. You did all that, and then we're all being <laughs> British, and then they're like, "Oh, you're having happy with your food." Your food is... Yeah, but it's not at all what we ordered, but we're too polite to say anything. Matthew Bell and Carol Lewis there, and of course you can read Carol's brilliant analysis of what's going on with mortgages and the the property market. Just subscribe to the Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Redbox. Up next, how the Tories are losing the countryside. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Redbox Podcast now. It's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. One day when I suggested he take it easy after a late event, he said he was getting up at 5am to join a farmer milking cows. You don't really have to do that, I assured him. I know, he said, but I really want to know what it's like. Isn't it sort of indicative of just how stuffed the Conservatives are if you've even lost farmers? Well, it's a difficult time for us. That was William Haig talking about Rishi Sunak's enthusiasm for milking a cow. And my interview with the former Environment Secretary, George Eustace, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Because the Tories have traditionally laid claim to be the party of the countryside, the party of wellies, tractors, the shires. But is that still the case? Perhaps they need to worry less about Stevenage Woman and worry more about Countryside Clive. I'm not responsible for that. Uh, we've got exclusive YouGov polling for this programme, which shows a collapse in support for the Conservatives in the countryside. In 2019, uh, 52% of people in rural areas voted for Boris Johnson's Conservatives. But polling for us shows that right now that's fallen to 33%. They're now pretty much neck and neck with the Labour Party. Now, the fact that the the Tory collapse is pretty uniform across cities, towns and villages means they'll be fighting on all fronts at the next election. It creates a big problem if the Tories can't even hang on to their heartlands. And if you're a Tory MP in a rural area with a big majority, you'd have previously been drafted in to try and help out in the more marginal seats. Just this week, some Tory MPs have been warned anyone with a majority of less than 15,000 needs to be worried. So today we're going to talk about how it's happened, how did the Tories lose the countryside, and what, if anything, can they do about it? Now, we know the countryside just isn't just about farming, but it's a big part of the party's rural appeal, so we thought we'd start there first. With Wilfred Emmanuel Jones, known as the Black Farmer, he stood for the Conservatives in 2010. And Anna Longthorpe is a pig farmer from Yorkshire, and she also now says that she feels politically homeless. I'm not surprised that the rural vote um, is not holding up um, in rural areas because one of the things that the Conservatives have always been able to rely on 
is the rural vote. And um, with this research, if it's correct, that shows that we're in serious trouble. And um, if we if we lose the, the rural community, God knows how we're going to get them back. Um, and Anna, what's, you're in a different part of the world, you're a pig farmer in Yorkshire. I mean, we don't want to just conflate farming and countryside, because obviously they're different things, but you have a good sense of, of, of the politics of the area you're in. What, what's, your, what's your politics on it? Do you feel like the Conservatives are still the, the party of the countryside? Not at all, actually. Um, obviously, the, the pig sector have been through an incredibly tough couple of years, and, um, yeah, a, a lot of us will feel politically homeless after how it's been dealt with. Farming's been through tough times before, but the way that the government have just wait, waited for wheels to fall off, basically, before they've done anything at all. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's just been been incredibly difficult to get our voices heard. And, and yeah, I, I've not known a time like it. And is that because there's a sort of, it's an attitude thing rather than a necessary, you know, because different sectors at different times face different challenges. But this, this particular issue... Just to remind listeners, actually, what what happened with the pig sector it was about a year, eighteen months ago, when we had that, you know, the real, the real, basically, the, the the pigs that farmers had bred weren't able to be slaughtered. And just remind us what the problem was, and then why the government's response leaves you feeling in your face political homeless. Yeah, so there, there were huge backlogs on farms because contracted pigs weren't taken by the uh, by the processors and the retailers. Um, there was a massive flooding of, of imports onto the shelves, just a huge drive for, for profit by these big corporate companies, basically. We were just left out on a limb, really, with nowhere to turn. You know, we warned of what was going to happen. The government decided to support the big corporates rather than actually supporting the farmers. There's just no trust left in that supply chain now. It's quite interesting listening to Anna because, you know, I buy a lot of pork and I know he would have been hammered because I think they got to the point where they had to actually, it was cheaper to um, kill the animals rather than get them to the processors. I think that farming has gone through a lot of change in, in, in the last few years. Partly, I think that, that is good. I've always thought that um, farming um, needs to bring in some um, big, big changes but one of the things that I've always been pretty cross about is the real lack of understanding of what it is to be a farmer. And until we could get urban Britain to understand that, farmers are always going to struggle. They're always not going to be valued. What we need to do in um, in rural Britain is how do we get the urbanites on side? Because it's the urban agenda that everybody seems to be focused on. If you take, you know, Stop Oil, for example, these guys, because they're going out and they're disrupting um, people's lives and um, holding up traffics, they seem to get more attention. But when it then comes to farming, it's as though the, 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 tri- the trials and tribulations that exist in, in, in our community, people just don't know. And I could understand why people like Anna are so frustrated because it's been going on for far too long. And that's why you find that a lot of people in farming and in rural Britain, which says, look, you know, the the, the Conservative Party is not for us. You know, we've seen in the past what happens when political parties uh, take for granted, you know, what well, we've always been, very, you know, the Labour Party thought they'd always won Scotland. Uh, the Labour Party thought they'd always have northern industrial towns. 
And if you take those areas for granted long enough, you'll find that somebody comes along and uh, eats your lunch. And I wonder if the opposite might be happening in in rural areas, that for so long, you know, no matter how bad things got for the Conservatives, they'd always have, you know, rural areas uh, voting for them. And I think, you know, whether whether that vote goes to reform or whether it goes uh, to the Lib Dems, actually this poll suggests in lots of uh, rural areas it's just going to the Labour Party, that actually that idea that, that you can vote Labour in rural areas doesn't seem, you know, mm. mad in the way it might have done. I don't know if you know, but I stood as a Conservative yeah, Party. Yes, I was about to ask you about that, yeah. Yeah, in, in Chippenham and um, back in 2010. And that was the year that you probably all remember when everybody agreed with Nick. And in my case, um, his um, um, hold over the country meant that that's how they then um, managed to um, get in government with, with the Conservative Party. But Chippenham, for example, would have been one of those classic um, rural areas and um, as I said before, it's an area where, as Conservatives, we were able to sort of um, uh, rely and, and depend on. And I think, unfortunately, that uh, unless there's a miracle, um, Conservatives will lose the next um, election. And then it's what will then happen with that fallout. But, you know, uh, it's just another sorrowful story that having been in power for such a long time, that power's been squandered, the infighting. I have been a, a Boris fan, for example. In fact, I was at number 10 yesterday for a, a little garden party, and um, I've been a fan of Boris, and just to see over the years how the party has decimated the ad- advantage that the infighting has meant now that most people would never consider them for power again. It's just unfortunately history repeating itself. Mm. Anna, that- what's your sense of the of the of the Labour Party right now? Because actually, looking at the, I'm just looking at the the tables on this on this poll of people who in rural areas who voted Conservative in 2019. About one in ten are going to the Labour Party. A, slightly more are going to reform, which obviously creates its own problem because you're losing people from both sides. Um, what is the view of of Labour in your part of the world in rural Yorkshire? I've, I've never. Never look to Labour because to me they're they're anti business and I'm you know I, I run two businesses I need you know um, a government that supports business is pro business wants to do the right thing wants people to work hard um, to get on in life and that Labour have never shown the, those kind of credentials to me um, so yeah for, for me it's it's yeah possibly reform um, but yeah. Like I say, it's a bad place to be in when you're just crossing people off the list. Um, <laughs> and then you find there's no one left. left <laughs> so you used to vote Conservative, Adam, but, but this, right, this time you're feeling like you just don't know what to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, our our constituent MP has been like a chocolate, like flipping chocolate teapot. Um, we've just had so so little support and understanding, complete lack of respect for the sector. Um, Does it make any difference um, if Rishi Sunak is a is a MP in Yorkshire? Does that b- make you even slightly more predipo- predisposed to him? No, <laughs> <laughs> not at all. There's the sound bites, but there's just no action. We we needed action blooming thirty forty years ago, and yes, we've got government supply chain reviews going on. Um, but as I, as I've said. Twice, I think already we're waiting for the wheels to fall off before yeah. we do everything. Anything, yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, I've, if I didn't have my own personal brand, I would have quit farming now. I'd have sold oh. sold the land, chucked some houses on there, 
said stuff it we're getting bashed constantly for you know by environment we're doing our hardest to work with the environment do what whatever we can to you know follow regulation policies placed upon us we're doing our best that we absolutely can but then we're sold out with stupid trade deals and um there's just a complete lack of action to, yeah. to support our farming sector we need food strategy and we needed it 30 years ago yeah, Anna, please don't don't give up because actually what we need is people like you in farming. And I think one of the things you just said, which was I think is very, very important for those of us in the in the farming industry, creating your own brand is really important because as you know, that's what I did. And I think what farmers have to do is that they have to learn that actually forget government, forget processes and speak directly to the end consumer because that is where the power lies i've always believed that what we need to do in the farming industry is develop the relationship with the consumers because the moment the consumers start to put pressure on governments on on supermarkets that's when you see change Wilfred Emmanuel Jones there, known as the Black Farmer, and uh, Anna Longthorpe, a pig farmer from Yorkshire. Exclusive polling by YouGov for this programme reveals a collapse in support uh, for the Conservatives and their rural heartlands, uh, having once had a 32-point lead over the Labour Party in rural areas at the 2019 election. The two parties are now neck and neck. Uh, the fact that it's pretty uniform across cities, towns and villages will also worry number 10. It means they'll have to fight on all fronts at the next election. And crucially means uh, there'll be fewer MPs and activists able to travel from supposedly safe seats in the countryside to more marginal areas. Well, let's speak now to two former Tory councillors in uh, rural areas. David Sims defected to Labour last month, saying the Conservatives did not have his area's interests, uh, best interests at heart. Morning, David. Morning. Uh, good to have you with us. Uh, we've also got Paul Henderson, who now sits in, as an independent, having acquired the lack of support from Westminster for uh, the part of Devon that he represents. Hi, Paul. Hi, yeah, morning. Um, David, uh, starting with you, uh, first of all, are you surprised by the fact that uh, the Conservatives can't even depend on support holding up in rural areas? Absolutely not surprised whatsoever. Um it's absolutely, it was, it was obvious it was going to happen. And that, uh, because it's not just only the farmers that are suffering, it's also the local villages and that, uh, in the areas, rural areas. The focus has been on urban areas, not on the rural areas. Now, if you look at it, uh, the economy has been squeezed. Uh, you could argue that there's various reasons for that. Obviously, the epidemics, uh, you know, that's gone on and also the, the, the war in Ukraine. But Everywhere has been affected by that worldwide. But there's one other factor involved in this, and that's Brexit. Now, if you look at the farming community, they're suffering, and that they've having to diversify because they're not getting the money that they used to get um, through the door. And uh, there are cats are opening, farm shops are opening up and down the countries. If you look at the villages themselves, the general public, they're also suffering uh, because they've been squeezed because there's less grants available from uh, local government sources because they're getting less money from the national government. So therefore, like local bus services, where you have a lot of elderly people which rely on these services to get to the doctors, to go shopping, etc., because they can no longer drive for medical reasons, for example, and that uh, I can't get there. What do we do? And I... Um, 
Well, I think a lot of things, a lot of decisions that have been made, both nationally and locally, uh, are affecting the people we're supposed to represent. And the, and the Tory party at the moment is fighting among themselves, uh, self-interests at heart, and moralistically, I could no longer be part of that. Thanks, Ado. Paul, your situation in Devon, and again, you know, sometimes it's quite easy to conflate countryside means farming, and clearly that's a big part of it, and lots of people are aware of the... The, the, the treatment of farmers and so on. But it's broader than that, and it's about, you know, which parts of the country get those extra bits of money. It's the, it's the sort of the everyday stuff, particularly with the roads, the roads in Devon you, you got fed up with. Yeah, I mean, it, that, that was just, uh, that was a contributory reason for me going. Uh, I think it's important that I actually say that. Um, uh, and the, the main part for me was actually the governance of the local Conservative Association, which I was desperately unhappy about. But that, that, that's separate. And um, I think if I come back to the roads, uh, I actually spend as much time on two wheels as I do on four. I ride a motorcycle. Uh, but at the moment, I can't ride that motorcycle uh, in the wet and I cannot ride it in the dark because I don't trust the road surfaces. The roads here in Devon are the responsibility of the county council. I'm a county councillor, so I have to look at myself. But there's a reality there, and it's interesting listening to uh, this programme uh, going back through. We've had Brexit brought up again. My view is for the Conservatives uh, Party, this began back in 2010. And the general degradation and the lack of money coming out of central government started uh, back with George Osborne, um, you know, when we had austerity coming in. Um, you know, since 2010, Devon County Council has lost 70% of its income from central government. Yeah. So back, back, back then when it happened, you know, you have to make tough decisions. And, and I accept that. And I don't blame the local Conservative Party for this. But where you've got mandatory things you actually have to pay for, you look at your roads budget, you think, OK, we need to save a lot of money. Actually, we won't come in and surface dress the roads until they've gone from four inches deep to an inch deep. So we've actually, in terms of the roads down here, it's horrendous. Um, but there's been no investment for well over a yeah, decade yeah. now on roads here. Uh, and that's where the issue is. And to get Devon's roads back to an amber state, it'll cost 167 million quid. Well, that money's got to come from central government. And unfortunately, there's a huge disconnect between what the county council is asking for, for from central government to the response coming back from Westminster. It, it's just not good enough. And it's interesting, the point I think uh, you've both made, really, is the, the the interest, when there is a pot of money around, the interest of it going to urban areas or the Red Wall or whatever the latest sort of buzzy phrase is, does seem to mean, or it appears anyway, uh, you could argue that the rural areas have been at the bottom of that list. Paul, really good to speak to you. Paul Henderson, uh, former Conservative councillor in Devon, now sitting in an independent. David Sims, uh, former Conservative councillor in uh, Northamptonshire, has defected uh, straight to the Labour Party. Well, let's speak to somebody who's very much on the front line of all this. Greg Smith, Conservative MP in Buckingham, he's got his uh, he's got a majority of just over twenty thousand, which should be absolutely rock solid. Greg, but are you worried? I never take anything uh, for granted. Good morning. I campaign in my constituency all the time. I ensure that I'm out and about uh, when I'm not in the House of Commons, meeting local people at events and businesses and charities and community groups uh, and everything. But I think you know the, the, the challenges we've got, uh, particularly for rural communities like. Uh, mine. Some are the same for everybody else. Everybody uh, is struggling with the rise in interest rates and what that means for their mortgage, for their utility bills, particularly electricity. But where we've got to go that extra mile and where I, I have been campaigning uh, on many of these issues in the House of Commons to get it right is for 
Westminster, for Whitehall, uh, for everyone that operates and runs our government from, men- uh, from metropolitan centres, uh, to understand the additional impact rural communities have. By definition, you use more petrol or diesel in a rural community because you've got to go that much further to the nearest supermarket or to take the kids to school or to get to work or to the doctor's surgery or whatever it may be. And I don't think there has quite been the same uh, level of support that recognises the additionality uh, of cost to rural communities when energy prices go up, uh, when prices at the pumps go up. Uh, And particularly when we look at uh, heating, uh, still huge swathes of the countryside, rural communities are not on the gas grid, you know, including you know, my constituency. You know, it takes me you know, it's 50 miles uh, from where I'm sat now uh, in the Palace of Westminster to uh, my house in Buckinghamshire. But still 15% of my constituents use oil-fired boilers to heat their homes. Yeah. And yet That's in this cost of living crisis, we're, yeah, looking yeah. Down, we're looking down the barrel of the gun that in 2026, they're all going to be told, yeah, you can't replace that. If that breaks, you're not going to be able to go and get another five, six grand oil burning boiler. You're going to have to spend 25 grand on a heat pump that probably for a lot of rural homes won't work. We do have to reset the narrative on that. It's interesting. I mean, I'm wondering, is it is it too much to draw a parallel with what happened with the Labour Party? First in Scotland, they thought they'd run Scotland forever. Uh, and then that that went. Then in the Red Wall, the northern industrial towns, they thought they could take those for granted. Uh, and then that went. Is the is the crisis with the Conservative Party's relationship with the countryside? And this poll that we've seen, it's extraordinary. And actually, it's not even the Lib Dems who are coming back. It's in rural, seat, in rural uh, voters saying they're just going straight to the Labour Party. Is there, a, is there a crisis in the Conservative Party, having taken your voters in rural areas for granted? Well, I repeat, I've never taken any voters for granted. Well, yes, historically. Have, have, have some of your leaders then, your, your, your many leaders over the last few years. It's certainly the case that historically the more rural areas have been traditionally stronger conservative voting areas. But we've got to keep up that trust. We've got to keep earning that trust, which is what I seek to do Mm. uh, in my constituency. I think there are some good good things coming. So let's take the example of planning and overdevelopment. I know for a fact from knocking on doors in my constituency that we have definitely lost council by-elections in Buckinghamshire on the issue of overdevelopment, you know, in, in villages around the, uh, like, like Hatton, uh, where they've got a major railway station, it has expanded tenfold in recent years with new development, largely on agricultural food producing land. And people in rural communities are absolutely sick and tired of that. They're not saying don't ever build anything, but they want to see uh, sympathetic development and largely development on brownfield sites in, in nearby towns, in our case, like Aylesbury and High Wycombe. And actually, in the levelling up bill and in the new national planning policy framework, I was part of a group of MPs that got big concessions out of the government on that to end the mandatory housing targets on uh, local authorities so that local authorities can push back and say, you might want us to build 4,000 homes in the next few years, but we just can't do that. And really critically, in the new NPPF, an explicit recognition that land used in food production Uh, should have a a greater protection. Because at the end of the day, the beauty of our countryside, the beauty of our rural communities, the way they very function is down to what they're used for. And that's growing the food that we all want to eat. Uh, And so just finally, then, on a scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you uh, that uh, Rishi Sunak will be Prime Minister after the next election? 
we're fighting to win this. I'm not doubting that there is an enormous hill for us to climb. Uh, we've got to get inflation down. We've got to get people more comfortable with uh, the cost of living. Stop that yeah. squeeze on their back pocket across the board. You know, we've, we've still got over a year, I hope, uh, to prove that and to make real progress on the economy and to see some of the benefits that the planning reforms that yeah. I and many of others have fought so hard for to protect the countryside come through and start working in the interests of people. So that's what the Tories need to do in the countryside. But what is the Labour Party going to do about your mortgage? Keir time popped to the studio just after that Bank of England interest rate announcement was made. Uh, joining me live in the studio now, uh, the Labour leader, Keir Starmer. Uh, do you accept that it's inevitable that interest rates have to go up to 5% in order to get a grip on inflation? Well, I think everybody has accepted that the rate um, had to and was going up. Uh, the only question really was how much it was going up. Uh, 5% obviously uh, the upper um, side of what people were expecting. And I think a lot of families are going to be really, really concerned hearing that because... Um, this is going to mean higher mortgages that they will have to pay on top of all the other bills that they're paying. And uh, as you know, if there's one single issue out there that's keeping people awake at night, it's paying the bills. Um, so this is really, really bad news for, for so many families. Isn't there a, a, a sort of question of honesty in politics across party politics? You know, Kiss, Richie Sunak's doing the same thing. There isn't a pain-free way of getting a grip on inflation. If, you're, if you want to bring it down, interest rates have to go up and people have to feel that pain to curb their spending to bring down inflation. Look, I think, of course, there's no quick fix. We've got to be honest um, about that. There is inflation across the world, there are global factors, but this country always gets hit hardest, whether it's mortgage rates, interest rates, energy prices, food prices. Um, and, you know, if we're going to be honest, we have to ask, why is it? Why is the UK um, getting hit harder than other countries? And there's, there is no way of answering that without looking at the 13 years of very low growth we've had in this country. Um, the disastrous effects of the mini-budget under Liz Trust last year, which made a bad situation a lot worse, and the failure to do the fundamentals when it came to energy. So we didn't do the insulation of homes, so bills are higher than they should be. We didn't go towards renewables. We banned off onshore wind. We haven't moved forward with nuclear. There are issues that mean that we are more exposed than others. And, you know, I think many people listening, many people worried about their mortgage would say, why am I taking all the pain for the failure of the last 13 years of this government? And that's a very, very good question. Uh, you've got a five-point plan to help people with yeah. their mortgages, uh, delay some of the pain. It makes it easier to switch to interest-only payments, for example. But if you do that, people don't feel the pain, they don't curb their spending, so inflation won't come down. Well, look, I think you've got to understand just how hard this is going to impact people. I gave the example yesterday at PMQs of a police officer called James who lives in Selby. Um, he's had a mortgage for years. He's not um, missed a single payment. His mortgage is going to go up by £400 and he's had to take the decision to sell his house. He's got kids um, and they're going to downsize. They're going to go back to where they were a number of years ago and the kids are going into sharing their bedrooms. We could say, well, you know, lots of people share bedrooms, but to have to go in a massive backward step in your life. So you talk about pain. These are real human impacts of what's happening. What, you know, what we're saying is let's find a way to help people. Interest only would help. Lengthening the period would help reduce. Yeah. Making sure it's reversible, because what we don't want to do is to, to get people locked into things that won't work for them in six or 12 months' time and make sure it doesn't affect their credit rating. But we, we can't have a situation where people either simply can't pay their mortgage and therefore they lose their home altogether, possessions have already doubled 
or have to make life-changing decisions like selling their house and moving a step backwards. This is a big thing for people who didn't themselves cause this problem. Um, You supported, I think, the government stepping in and helping with energy bills uh, and the, the, the rebate they gave there. Why do you not support the idea of helping people with their mortgage bills? Well, I think I do um, think we should help people, but the help we should give is 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 as we've set out in our five point plan, which is to if we go to interest only, obviously that yeah. does reduce the mortgage payments. Um, if there's a prolonging or a longing, making longer the um, mortgage uh, deal, then that helps with the payments. So these, but without the repossessions um, and or the irreversibility that would cause pain further down the road. So this is a practical way um, to help families. And I'd like to see the government look at our plan um, and adopt it because I think for millions of families, um, they desperately need help in a problem which is not of their making, is of the government's making. Uh, Yeah, and I think they've... I know they've had the banks in this week, so we may hear more from that uh, a bit later on. Um, Rishi Sunak has been addressing the the CEO's summit. You've you've been addressing the CEO's summit. I've been... Yeah, I I think he's about to go on. He's about to go on. You've been up there already, uh, addressing a room full of CEOs at the time, CEO's summit. Um, Exactly the sort of people that Jeremy Corbyn wanted to sort of tax into... Into out of existence uh, when and you happily served under him. Why should they trust that you've changed now that you are more business friendly than the? Have you changed? Well, we Which have. Which is ch- a real Keir Starmer. We have changed, and uh, evidence of that is as I looked out uh, this morning to the CEO conference here at the Times, um, I saw lots of faces that were familiar to me, people I've been talking to in the last two to three years, and they are the people that I've said before and I said again this morning that I want to partnership as we go into government because. If we go, we're going to pick up an economy that's busted, public services that are on their face, um, and a general sense that this country can't achieve anything anymore. We need to turn that around at speed, and I want to partner with those businesses, and we're having in-depth discussions with them about how we do that. And that partnership means that um, they do the bit that business can do, bring the investment, bring the jobs and the creativity. We as a government partner with them by um, ensuring that the conditions are right for that investment. And the thing that came up this morning morning is we've got to get to grips with the planning um, rules, we've got to get to grips with the time it takes for the grid to connect so that projects which ought to take three, four years uh, uh, but are now taking yeah, yeah, 15 years. Well, That's the discussion this morning. So we've changed, we've changed so much that we're deep in conversation with the CEOs about what practically needs to be done at speed yeah, yeah. if we're privileged enough to come into government and to serve the country. Uh, one thing I want to ask you about, because it came up at PMQs again yesterday, although it's, it's come up uh, before. You were mocking Rishi Sunak for travelling by helicopter. It's one of... You, you quite like doing it. Uh, Angela Rayner quite likes doing it, the private jets and the helicopters and stuff. When you're Prime Minister, will you always be getting the train and the bus? Or, or well, are you, you going to rule out using helicopters and planes? R- ruling out things is always, um, uh, 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 you know... Foolish, but, but I you, do keep, think, you keep mocking. You keep I, mocking I, him for it. Look, I think in the middle of a cost of living crisis. Yeah, if you're doing, I think he did a trip down to Dover the other day. Yeah, uh, from London, which is a short rail trip. To take a helicopter down there, just emphasize. I'm not saying the prime minister should never travel by helicopter. I do understand it's a heavy schedule. Of course, I do, but. To use it when you really don't need to. And and it sends a signal to, I think, many, many w- working people that you just don't get it. You don't understand what when, we're going through. When was the last time you were in a helicopter? I can't remember. Years ago. Um, I think um, when I was doing a case somewhere out in the Caribbean. Oh, okay. I mean, I'd say 15 In the years Caribbean? Ago. Well, I was, Caribbean doing, I, was wow. doing a, I was doing a legal case <laughs> out there. Um, it's actually a police helicopter going across a section of wow. uh, Trinidad. But it was many, many years ago now. Uh, well, I want to ask you about uh, the other big story that came out uh, uh, just after PMQs yesterday was your spokesman was being asked about the story in the Times about peerages. 
Is it the case that your policy is to both pack the House of Lords with new peers and abolish the House of Lords? Well, I can tell you, I haven't actually discussed this with anybody. Okay. Um, so uh, this is, uh, it's a story, it's understandable. Look, there is a mismatch at the moment. Um, we've got far less peers than uh, the Conservatives and obviously we need to get the business of government through. But this is not some developed plan. Um, I literally have not discussed okay. it with anyone. But if you, I mean, if we are gonna, uh, you are going to need more peers... Is it time to say to Tony Blair, Gordon Brown, get off the subs bench, get in the House of Lords, do your bit? <laughs> Are you, do you want to bring back some big beasts to the Labour Party to, to serve in your government? Well, look, what I do want to do is take advice from people who know what they're talking about. And what I'm trying to do is to get the Labour Party from a terrible election defeat in 2019, um, what will be 13 or 14 years of opposition into government. So do I want to talk to Tony Blair and to Gordon Brown, who were the last leaders that achieved that switch from opposition into government for a Labour Party? Of course I do. Um, Not actually about the substance of particular policies, but more about... Um, how, the how framework, the approach, yeah. um, the pace, um, so much has changed in 25 years that um, the, a policy discussion wouldn't be the right one. But yeah. it is about understanding how does a party go from years in opposition into into power, hopefully, and, and, and uh, into government. And, in, and into number 10. And unlike Rishi Sunak, you're still here, you haven't run off. And you've agreed to do this. The yeah, segment this where random guests take part in the quiz. Can you get to number 10? Yes, Keir Starmer, this is our hugely popular quiz. Can you get to number 10? 10 questions loosely connected to 10 cabinet jobs. The more questions you get right, the better the job you get. Take your place alongside our listeners and guests and we'll even give you a certificate. <laughs> now, when Rishi Sunak came on to do the quiz last summer, this happened. We're not going to do the quiz. I, I literally have got 200 people waiting for me next door and I was meant to be there two minutes ago, so... He ran off. Oh, dear. So you're still here, so you're already doing better <laughs> by my cat. Is that one step in the right yes, direction? Yes, you're, you're one step away. You're not one off. Right, come on then, let's do this. Let's play. Can Keir Starmer get to number 10? OK, Keir. Question number one, to become Minister Without Portfolio. Complete this well-known phrase, actions speak louder than words. You're in the cabinet. Question two, for <laughs> culture, media and sport, who is Arsenal's all-time top scorer? Is it Thierry Henry or Tony Adams? Oh, it's Thierry Henry, the only... Is the right answer. You're going to start giving me some more trivia. Uh, Question three for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs. When I bumped into you having breakfast at Labour Conference a couple of years ago, what were you having? Was it a little bit of fish and a little bit of cheese or a full English? It was a little bit of cheese, a little bit of fish. I think you took a photo of it and tweeted it so the world knows that. And it was, I'll be honest, disgusting. Uh, Question number four, because I tried it as well. Question number four for Transport Secretary. What's the speed limit on a dual carriageway? 60. 70. No. Oh. No. 70's the right answer. At least you didn't say it was 80 yeah. and then get accused of breaking the law. Uh, which means you made it to Environment, Food and Rural Affairs. Which is interesting. We've seen our poll today. You're neck and neck with the Tories in the countryside. Yes, this is really good. Yeah. Rural and coastal. You're now the party of the countryside as well. Yep. Amazing. What's your top priority for the countryside? Work with the farmers to ensure that they've got security for food production and, um, you know, can actually survive as we go through big change. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, the big the impact of Brexit. Oh, and we, we work with the National Farmers Union a lot. Um, yeah. You, they're, they're very, very concerned about how they survive. Keir Starmer, really good to see you. Keir Starmer there, finally getting a job in government. If you want to come on and play the quiz yourself, email me, matt at times.radio with your name and number. We'll get you on very soon. Uh, But for now, for me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye.
This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.